I think the health at any size movement or idea is helpful because I have people that and clients that come and they are so frustrated because they didn't get to their goal weight and mm-hmm. their goal weight was like BMI of 25. Well, they were BMI 50. That's yeah. not realistic. And what we want to find is where you're healthy and happy. And that mm-hmm. might be a BMI of 30. And that's great. That's great. Welcome to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast, where every two weeks we explore all the aspects of the weight loss surgery journey. We'll hear from a range of experts, including bariatric surgeons, psychologists, patients, and dietitians, sharing up-to-date informative advice to help fast-track your long-term weight loss success. Welcome back to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast. I'm Jackie Lewis. I'm your host. I'm the clinical nutritionist for Being Healthy. This week's episode, I have Jeannie Boyer with me. Jeannie's a registered dietitian and board certified in obesity and weight management. She absolutely loves what she does and the people that she has the privilege to work with. Jeannie's been a bariatric dietitian for nearly 20 years, working across the US with people just beginning to think about surgery to those who've had surgery up to 20 years ago. Jeannie runs her own private practice focused on serving those who are years out from surgery, helping them to restore their confidence and reconnecting them with their Barry roots so she can teach and help maintain a healthy weight. And she continues to work in a surgery clinic. Jeannie's a regular contributor and speaker with Barry Nation, which is an online platform for bariatric patients to connect, learn and grow with experts and peers. And she's written for Obesity Help and also for Weight Matters magazine. In the show notes of the Australian Weight Loss Surgery podcast, we'll house the information to contact Jeannie, her socials, and she's also been so generous to share with us her three days to reverse weight gain link, which is a self-assessment tool and should help you to understand where things are at for you as far as weight gain goes. I'm very excited to discuss with Jeannie today the ins and outs of long-term bariatric care and really share some practical tips on actually getting through the holiday season as well as just, you know, life in general and keeping on track as a bariatric patient for the longer term. So please welcome Jeannie Boyer. Welcome Jeannie Boyer. Thank you for your time again today. It's great to see you. You as well. I'm so excited to be here. I love doing the US podcasts. It's always really lovely. It actually helps me to understand, you know, how universal our situation is because we have so many different issues in the space of bariatric care. But even when we speak with people in different countries, it's very, very similar. So it's nice to know that we're all in it together and that there's some great people like you in the space doing the best we can to help everybody. Tell me a little bit about how you became involved in bariatric care. Sure. Well, first of all, I never wanted to be a dietitian. I was going to be a chef. And so when I went to college, I was like, I, you know, I should study nutrition just as a backup. And then I started working in hospital. Of course, hated it. And there was an opportunity to teach the bariatric class like one or two nights a month. And that meant I got to leave the hospital early to go teach. So I was like, sign me up. And then I just loved it. Like I loved the connection with patients like that just didn't happen in the hospital. But with bariatrics, like I got to know people and I got to see change and I got to see results and cheer people on. It's like, I'm not leaving this. So that's amazing. You're right about that. And even 
at a recent conference I was at, we were talking about how we do get to see the human side of things and we get to see the whole process. And it is why we call it a journey because so much happens along the way and it's not all rosy. But you're right. I think it is that we do get to see people who are really stuck and then suddenly things start to change and go well. And then they might take a dog leg for a little while. But often, most often, the end result is a good outcome. Right. And they're quite rewarding. Awake, you know, (laughs) yeah. In the hospital, people are asleep or gone, but (laughs) they're sitting in front of me and I can talk to them. (laughs) And that's always a good thing. Right. Yeah. It's very human. I think that's what I like about it too. It's special in that way. So with so many different paths you can take as a dietitian, as you've just outlined, and you're right, most do end up doing hospital work and that sort of thing. What's your most favoured area of bariatric care? I know you focus on a specific part of the journey. You've taken that long-term approach. You're looking after people at the end of that, what we call the honeymoon, you know, two years and onward. What drew you to that area? I feel like it's missing. The care for folks at that point, post-bariatrics, isn't as available as any other part of the journey. And I would see people five years later come into the clinic and be embarrassed and ashamed. And like I thought about coming in for the past two years and didn't want to because they were afraid of showing up and having gained weight. And I really started a presence on Instagram to kind of tell people like me as a dietitian, as someone that has worked in the clinic, like I want you to come in and we are here to take care of you the whole time. And the journey's not over at two years. Like every year there's a different challenge or a different revelation. Absolutely. And things change too. Like we're finding, you know, new ways of intervening with obesity. And in our country, I guess the most prevailing message now is that obesity is a chronic disease. And so now we're looking at it as a chronic disease and looking at its long-term, you know, care, like you would if someone had cardiovascular disease or pulmonary disease or high blood pressure. It's something that you go back to your doctor for on a regular basis because things need to be tweaked. There's new information that comes out and there's new and better ways of caring for people, which we're seeing in the bariatric space at the moment. So. I think that's the overarching message is that, you know, don't be ashamed is the biggest one. There's a lot of talk about kind of internalized stigma and externalized stigma and how that's setting patients up for very late care. They don't want to go and say, I'm struggling. I can't manage my weight. I don't, I've tried everything. And I think that's also what draws us into this space is that plight of, you know, there's something that can be done and don't feel ashamed and come early rather than later. Right. It is interesting. In the, I think I started bariatrics in like 2004 and the change in what we say and what we know and how we treat is amazing. It's awesome. And there's so much more now that we can offer with just what we know. Yeah, right. And I think we're waking up with our language too. I'm noticing that there's a movement. It's not a movement, but it's a health at any size. And oh, right. It's interesting. At first, I was like, but we need to speak about BMI and we need to speak about obesity and we need to use those words. And if we're dancing around the fact that we need to discuss obesity or weight gain or how it's impacting your health, if we take those, I guess, qualifying words away, how then do we start to treat people and start to open the conversation? And that was my first understanding of this new health at every size 
concept. And I was like, mm, it works everywhere else, but in bariatric care, because we need those words to help these. That's part of the qualifying process to get the surgery is what's your EMI, what are your comorbidities? And so it's a way of classifying, I suppose. So I was like, yeah, they'll work in every other realm, but not bariatric. And it's interesting. We've just finished our conference season in Australia. And the more I sit and listen, the more I grasp what the goal is of these changes in our terminology and our approach. Yes, we'll still get the job done, but we Mm -hmm. need to be a bit more aware of how we are positioning that and how some of those classifying methods are antiquated and we need to update our way of looking at things as well. So, yeah, changes to the guidelines and that sort of stuff have been quite positive. So it is quite fascinating. I've only been in for sort of seven years. And you're right, even my understanding of it. I think the health at any size movement or idea is helpful because I have people and clients that come and they are so frustrated because they didn't get to their goal weight. And Mm -hmm. their goal weight was like BMI of 25. Well, they were a BMI of 50. That's not realistic. And what we want to find is where you're healthy and happy. And that Mm -hmm. might be a BMI of 30. And that's great. That's fine. Yeah. And they're looking at what is a measure of success after bariatric Mm -hmm. surgery. And generally, a measure of success in any weight loss attempt is 5% or the weight you need to lose to have a health benefit is 5%. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at 25 to 35%. So it's bonus, isn't it? But it's also, yeah, we also then beat ourselves up when we don't get that definite, you know, my doctor said I need to be this number. And when you give someone that number and their state of mind is that of a weight loss surgery patient, what are we setting them up for Mm -hmm. to begin with? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, that's a great question. I've begun to ask people. So I used to say, okay, the current people that are looking at surgery and like, oh, I want to get to this weight, or I would ask them, what do you want your goal weight to be? And I would give them what I would determine should be their goal weight. And I've stopped Mm -hmm. doing that because Mm -hmm. I've heard people say, it went both ways. Their doctor said, oh, you're going to be 180 pounds and they didn't get to 180 pounds. And so they felt like they failed, Mm. even though they lost 100. (laughs) Or a person got to 180 and they probably could have lost more, but they were like, oh, I hit my goal. Mm. I can't go any further. So it's hard. I think some people are motivated by that number goal and others need to look at it a different way. And you never know who you're dealing with until you give the number. So then when we give the number, we don't know what the outcome of doing that is going to be, I suppose. I've started having, especially my private clients, I tell them to write the number and then write everything they expect to come with it. So I can do that hike. I can wear those jeans. I can dance with my kid, whatever. Whatever their vision of that number is to write it all down and then tear the number off and throw it away. And so their goal are those tangibles mm. that they can feel and not just be based on the number. That's a great way to do it, isn't it? It gives them what they're looking for to begin with because mm-hmm. they're thinking of the number. I mean, if they're generally, we're dealing with women predominantly in their 40s, 50s and 60s, and they're the women who grew up with the numbers and the weight right. and it's just embedded in our brains that we need to get on the scales and work out whether it's a good day today or not. So you've given them that to begin with. And then said, okay, here's what it really actually means and made it more tangible. I think that's a beautiful process. Yeah, well done. It's great. And it's coming up with those different ways, I think, isn't it, of actually changing our mindset on what is health and what makes me happy and 
is it a number on the scales or is it something else? Yeah, it's brilliant. So what would you say your philosophy is regarding nutrition after surgery? We were talking about words. So I, <laughs> I hesitate to use this word, but I do it. It keeps coming up to be normal. So I think people, and this is generalizing, but a lot of folks have surgery, yes, to improve health, but to feel, quote, normal or like everyone else. And so when you're two years post-op, normal is not drinking five protein drinks a day or only chicken. Normal might mean you have french fries or you have a cookie, but you do that through the bariatric filter and those boundaries. I think my overall philosophy is you want to be able, again, to be happy at your lower, healthier weight. And so if you are so restrictive and so limiting, then you're not enjoying life at this lower weight. We need to find the balance of health and improved weight and enjoying the food that we have available. Like, yeah, it's awesome to be a human. <laughs> like, we can eat some <laughs> cool things. <laughs> and so, yeah, there is. And I guess changing our understanding a lot of the time of what good food is and how good it can make you feel. So changing that understanding of this food, balanced, whatever, chicken and vegetables mm -hmm. a couple of times a day, breakfast with mm -hmm. friends, that sort of stuff also makes us feel well. And mm -hmm. I think it takes a bit of practice in eating those foods to realise just how good it makes people feel as well when it's fueling the body rather than just filling up the body. Right. Yeah, it gives you that. I think a new kind of understanding of health, which makes you want those foods more often. And even through bariatric yeah. surgery, mm -hmm. we have different tastes and different wants, which is quite right. fascinating, right. quite accidental, really, in the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to see how much it changes for people as well and what you do want, seasonal right. foods, that sort of thing. Right. Like knowing that you can, you know, like here in the US, Thanksgiving's coming up and that's a big traditional family memories. And I have a lot of patients and clients that get worried about, oh, I can never enjoy Thanksgiving again. Mm -hmm. You can, it's going to be smaller and you're going to have to put some thought into it, but you can still have ABC, your traditional meals, dishes. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Yeah. The first year, maybe there's limits because we're settling in. And sure. I don't know if you find the same thing, but we have a lot of people who actually have the surgery towards the end of the year. Yeah. Because it's a good time to have a right, break right. and you get the recovery time and summer teachers or, you know, people who can take mm -hmm. that kind of long time off over the Christmas and New Year break. Yeah. So, yeah, often the first Christmas is either liquids or purees or <laughs> soft mm -hmm. food. But after yeah. that, you know, it's about... And they have a year of practice. So by yeah. the next year, they can do Ready it. Ready to go. Yeah. Do you have particular recommendations or certain ways of helping your patients to manage this sort of time of year? It's pertinent for us to discuss it, actually. Yeah. I'm looking around my desk for my drawing. I usually draw or have a plate, like the bariatric size. And I say, you put your traditional meat in the middle, whatever that is. Turkey for us, sometimes soon, maybe shrimp, salmon, beef. And then the rest of the plate can be whatever you want, but you're only going once. Then it becomes a matter of real estate. Like, do I want Aunt Susie's sweet potato pie? No, I'd rather have my grandmother's mac and cheese. So that's going on the plate this year. Mm -hmm. Instead of in the past, and I've seen myself and my family do it, you just put everything on your plate without considering, is this, do I really value this? Like, is this something I know I'm going to enjoy and only have this time of year? So putting the protein center and then 
that one time, that one meal, you fill up your plate with what you want. Yeah. I like that. It's real estate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a great way of terming it. And you're only going once. What are your thoughts on that? It's go once and go slowly. Oh, you know, talking about words again, grazing. So mm. when I went to our conference here this summer, we were talking about how that term can feel kind of uncomfortable or wrong because it sounds like cows grazing, which I totally understand. It's just what we've used forever. And I'm trying to figure out what's the better term. So I say only once because after surgery, you can eat more over a longer period of time. So I give people like a 30 minute to eat really fast. It's going to be uncomfortable. But if you stretch it over an hour, you can eat more volume and you're not feeling that restriction like you would. That's true. And it can sneak into that, I suppose, too, particularly Mm -hmm. around this time of year when we're lingering and we're putting aside a day for celebration where normally it's dinner and it can kind of stretch out to really, if you're at a restaurant, it's a maximum of a two-hour kind of event, usually the food component of it. But when we're looking at Christmas and Thanksgiving and that sort of stuff where we're just kind of, we do have the time, it is good to put those time limits in place as well. It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Or even like a holiday, like a cocktail party type thing where Mm. you have a tiny plate and everybody's refilling all the time. That's a time to really be aware and fill it up once and be done. Yeah. It's new habits, isn't it? I think even people who haven't had surgery, it's definitely a habit to get into. I'm listening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think we can all, yeah, Yeah. exactly. I think we can all benefit from our own advice at certain Mm -hmm. times of the year, particularly. So what do you see as the biggest or most common challenges people face after surgery? Mm. And particularly, I guess, initially, and then we'll talk about your, you know, you see people who are long-termers. What's Mm -hmm. the difference between a short-term problem and a long-term, what are they facing? I think. You know, the first year you've got, it's all new and you really don't want to mess it up and you're nervous. So people are very careful about their choices and really evaluate like, how does this feel? How long am I full? When did I drink? And you're seeing the scale move. It's great. So I think the challenge of that first part is just figuring out like, how much do I need to chew? How much do I swallow at once? When can I drink? When should I not? It's just a lot of focus is on your surgery. After that year or the year and a half, when things have normalized, I think first the challenge is you don't have that feedback of the scale moving necessarily. Like it's maybe you lose a pound, two pounds a month, but it's not like it was. So that's just hard to transition to. I think it becomes from, you know, before surgery, you have the disease of obesity, tried every diet maybe afraid of food, afraid of gaining weight, you have this surgery and it is like a whole new world. So you have to learn a new way of eating. Then you get to maintainable weight, a stabilized weight two years later. And it's another new world because you haven't been here before. You haven't Mm -hmm. been at a healthy size with surgery and to figure out how to eat normal, but within your bariatric guardrails or boundaries can be a challenge. I'm like, oh, how do I let in whatever it is, a potato, the right way? And how do I enjoy an evening out the bariatric way? And how do I do mm-hmm. the holidays? You got to figure it all out again. Total new the- learning curve, really. And mm-hmm. like you just said, how do I do the holidays this time like this? That was really interesting. It is like brand new, isn't it? Right. Like you've had three relationships with food. 
And I guess the older you are when you have the surgery, the more of those years you've got to undo and, you know, they're long-term mm-hmm. habits we're looking at. And I think it's not intentional, but you relax. It's just like mm-hmm. anything we try and we get new and we're like, yeah, I got it. I don't have to run every day to stay a runner. Well, then you don't for a week and you go out for a run and it's crap. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you've had surgery, you've done well, you've lost your significant weight, labs are good, they're off medications. So it's like human nature to relax a little bit and then you might see some weight gain. So it's a hard time to figure out how do I maintain this but not be too restrictive and enjoy life. Yeah, it's hard to, I think, because there's rules. And I mean, Mm -hmm. healthy eating, there's rules, I suppose. We make these choices and they're not always automatic, even for a person who hasn't had surgery, who is maintaining healthy weight or looking at it from a health perspective and preventing Mm -hmm. disease, whatever. It's a daily thing where we've got opportunity to either choose healthy living lifestyle approach or what are we going to do today? Are we goofing off? So it's for everyone, but it's also hard because we have rules and with rules, we can become rigid and then that kind of breeds into restriction and back into dieting. How do we reframe that we don't want to be dieting and counting, but we still need to meet 80 or 90 grams of protein a day, so you do need to count. Uh (laughs) Uh So it's count, but don't count. And how do we position it in a way that's not going to bring up that, you know, now I'm dieting this way instead of how I was dieting before. I'm now just living a healthy life and I'm making healthy choices. How do we change that? It's not overnight, right? (laughs) I kind of use, and this might not be exact answer to the question, we'll try again if it's not. Yeah. For a long time, I've used the analogy of a car. So when you get a new car, it's your baby and you're like checking for scratches and parking right in the middle of the lines and you're doing all the things. And eventually you just drive it and you don't think about why when you're driving the car, you're not thinking about how it's working and its maintenance schedule, but it has one. Like you take it and I don't know about cars. You get the tires rotated this often. You replace the oil this often. You... I don't, but you wash it this often. I need so to I pick do. up on that. <laughs> yeah. So I think surgery, you can treat it the same way and think, I don't have to think every single day about, is this 20 grams of protein? Is this five grams of fat? Did I stand under this carbs? But if you develop your own kind of maintenance schedule to keep you going in the background, it'll help you stay on track. So that could be that you write down what you're eating once a month, the first week of every month, write it down. You get it out of the measuring cups and the food scale every season and make sure your one cup hasn't become a cup and a half. Yeah, that's good. And then it's not this rigid approach. It's right. more of the just check in and see what you're up to. I don't yeah. know if you have them over there, but we have a bariatric plate that has that on it. I just got them. It's like Did you? perfection. Oh, they just yeah. sent me to some. I'm like, these are yeah. amazing. Yeah, it is good, isn't it? I know it's helpful for so many people, which is fantastic. Yeah. And Often when I hear in our group of people who are like, oh, I'm starting to regain, what do I need to do? The first thing I would encourage you to do is check on your protein, but also get your plate and bowl out and just have a look. And that way you're eyeballing and reminding yourself of a bariatric serving and how it should look. And then when you've got it again, put it in the cupboard or don't or use it all the time or have one at work or it depends on the person and how Mm -hmm. quickly they kind of digress from those serving sizes. But I think it comes down to that caution and 
I think at about 12 months, generally the research indicates that's when carbohydrates sort of start to filter back in as the predominant macro. So Mm -hmm. I was looking at how much of that is coming back in again. You know, it's tricky. I always say how hard it is to be on top of protein because if you leave the house without it, it's pretty hard to get. So it's really, really easy to get carbs anywhere you want to go. Yeah. But often I kind of wander around looking for food that's got enough protein in it for me to feel like it's a good choice. So it's, yeah, it's either be prepared or eat before you go, you know, those kind of tips of think about where you're going and plan ahead a little bit. Often I'll just quickly, and I think for people who have dietary restrictions like gluten-free or dairy intolerance and that sort of stuff, often now I'll check the menu of a restaurant before I go so I kind of roughly know that there's, you know, a couple of good options on there. And I don't think that's a bad idea for people who are planning ahead and they've got sort of specific requirements. It's looking at what's on the menu and what will I have for entree if I'm having one and then what would the main look like for me? And then you're kind of comfortable. You turn up and you're you're actually quite sorted. Mm. Mm -hmm. And you enjoy the night and your food arrives and it's kind of what you expected. It's not like, oh, my God, I've got all this conversation going on and I'm trying to socialise and make good choices at the same time. I think that's actually now everything's available online. It's a good little trick is um, being, you know, a heads up on what's on the plate before you even get there. It's funny, I used to be quite resistant to routine and that kind of stuff. And now I'm like, yeah. it actually really works when you plan. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's a really sort of strong suit for getting stuff done it's, in your you life. feel like it's going to be so stressful to plan, but mm. planning takes the stress out, away. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. was 48 years I mean, and here I am planning stuff. Amazing. Right, we? right. <laughs> and I wanted to talk about your Instagram. Tell me uh-huh. what sort of approach do you take there and what's one to gain from being part of your followers? I really try to focus on the Instagram on that long-term patient. Mm -hmm. So occasionally I'll post stuff that's useful for everybody or that is geared towards like early, but most of it is that normal nutrition with the bariatric filter. Cause I have friends and family that are like, Oh, I totally listen to what you say Mm -hmm. because it applies to them as well. But I try to make it approachable and funny and I think when you do that, it, you can remember it versus yes. lists and teaching, so to speak. I like it. It's a, quite a unique approach for a dietitian mm-hmm. because I think it can be quite a serious role that we see that the dietitian plays when it comes to, I hear of patients who are, oh, I'm going to my dietitian and uh-huh. it's almost like a job interview and it's like, a, or a confession at church or something like that. And it's like trepidous and they're like, how am I going to tell her and all those sorts of things. And I mm-hmm. think if we make it real and approachable and funny, and that's life, isn't it? So well, I guess it's like you, our bariatric patients have to been on every diet. So they know a lot of nutrition. I have so many clients that come to me and they're like, I know what I'm supposed to do. I just can't take that step or can't make it happen. And so I really try to focus on here's one step or here's a new way to think about it to make it easier it's good i like that a bit of humor and yeah. you know down to earth mm-hmm. the aussies mm-hmm. like that too yeah <laughs> <laughs> and do you have a reach that's quite global at the moment is it more yeah. us um, um audience to draw or is it all over it's pretty good i mean a lot of us but i have a few clients in ireland and a couple people from australia that i've talked to so that's the thing about this like zoom and 
Instagram and just it's amazing who I've met across my own country and across yeah. oceans. And we started talking like my advice and your advice is universal to bariatrics. Like the basics are told where yeah. you are. Mm-hmm. And I think we draw a lot from the US research. I mean, our, all of our supplements that being healthy formulate are based on the ASMBS weight loss mm-hmm. surgery nutritional guidelines. So we look to America because a lot of yeah. the time with the population size and the studies are larger and it's, you know, and I think there's just more people who've got their eyes on it, which is why we rely on that as well. And it is quite fascinating. There's another dietitian in Perth in Western Australia I did a podcast with recently and uh-huh. she has a boot camp on Instagram that pulls a lot of people from the US and like you say, Ireland. And it's interesting where people kind of infiltrate from as well and how it is always the same. It's great yeah. for 18 months when they're not hungry and then we all start to have another look. And I think yeah. it's, yeah, the more we can have looking at sort of two to three years down the track, it's huge. I think it's great we're preempted that something will change. It's not that we position it as if you've had your surgery and off you go. I'm always keen on encouraging that long-term contact and finding information from reliable sources. So people like yourself, instead of different people who are showcasing interesting information on Instagram and that sort of stuff. So it's about being wary, I suppose, of where that information comes from and finding those good connections that you can rely on. They're up to date, they're evidence-based, they're have got their eyes on the new research as it develops and as things change. And it's interesting, not often it's dietitians who are have that entrepreneurial mindset to do that sort of thing and get that message out there. So without going back to their practitioner or seeing their surgeon, there's access to good information. And I think it's really amazing that you can provide that. Right. You mentioned, you know, it's changed over the past 20 years in Honestly, when I first started, I probably wasn't talking about, hey, five years from now, I want you to come back. Like, it's going to be important that you come back. I was focused on drink your fluids, get your protein, see you later. And and the longer I do it, the longer I meet people that are far out from surgery and have that feel so disconnected. I don't think it's the fault of a clinic or a surgeon. It's just the way the system is yeah. built. The focus is on surgery, focus yeah. on getting to surgery. And so I think it's great that myself and you and other dietitians are becoming approachable like we're not like the confession box but you know (laughs) and instagram makes that possible and so Jeannie, with your instagram are we looking at do people join your group or do we hop on and follow you and then i hear something quite cool is coming up towards december time yeah i do a bunch of different things i really prefer small groups or one-on-one because everybody's just different. As much as the rules of bariatric surgery are the same, the way they apply to each person can be different. So I don't give one meal plan or give a standard. But yeah, I work with people either in a long-term three to six month one-on-one or a small group of maybe five people max. And then there's some fun stuff coming up in December that's totally new and I'm super excited about. I'm excited to hear about that too. And so if we're on your email list, we get to hear about what's coming up in December. Yeah. So the email list, I really try to make my emails different than what you find on Instagram. So there's a little more information. There's a little more personal story. 
And I always include a recipe each time. So it's something different. But people on the email list always will hear first thing and get discount codes and all those kind of fun things. That's good. I like that. And I think what you're offering is that personal, small approach, one-on-one if you Mm -hmm. want it, small groups if you don't want one-on-one. So there's Mm -hmm. flexibility there. And like I was just saying to you off air, the groups in America are so large that it's easy to kind of feel like you've become lost in the fray of how many people. And however, the groups offer that sort of input if there is a lot of questions and that sort of thing. But if you're looking for, you know, not being lost and feeling sort of part of something large and you want that personalized approach, I think that's a really good way to go about it. So in the show notes on the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast website, awls.podcast.com, that's where we'll have the links to Jeannie's Instagram and how to sign up for the email list and certainly looking after people in that sort of longer term stuck stage of bariatric Mm -hmm. journey and yeah looking at I guess you know implementing different more sort of healthy less restrictive ways of becoming your best and healthiest Mm -hmm. self. The thing I gave you the link for is actually I call it like three days to reverse regain but what it is is a self-assessment so what you're eating now and then a way of assessing that that isn't this many grams of protein this many carbs but more objectively, just so you can kind of adjust without having to worry about every little number and every little gram. You're just looking for certain foods as you go along each day. So that will be linked and anybody can access that. That's a great tool. And I think that's the other thing to run past you is when people feel stuck or they're feeling they're regaining or they're really hungry or they feel they're losing their kind of way. A lot of talk is about, should I go back to shakes? I'll just go back to liquids and purees. What do you feel about that? That's kind of a soapbox. (laughs) I'm actually going to post on it this week. Um, (laughs) I'll have one of my serious talks. So here's my rundown. Protein drinks, protein shakes. People think that that's the way you lose weight because you lost weight when you were drinking them. Yeah. But that doesn't work now. We gave you protein drinks because you couldn't eat enough protein to maintain your muscle mass as you were losing weight at a rapid rate. Now you're at a maintenance stage, protein drinks aren't magic. That's not going to help you lose weight. It's going to probably make you miserable and hungry now, two years later. Mm. So they are magic. They're good. No, like, and then yeah, when you stop drinking those shakes, what are you doing? Right. It's kind of like, I don't know if you have the trend there in Australia, but there's a lot up here about the liquid reset or yes. the pouch, nine day, five day pouch, pouch reset. Yes, pouch reset. Don't do you do want to start milking? <laughs> Talk to me. Talk to me. I will help you. It's <laughs> a great idea. And I think, you know, like you said, being normal, as we would term it, is being able to live a normal, healthy life that has a balance of different events, different times. Yeah. And like any regular person who hasn't had bariatric surgery, we have times where it's like two weeks of. I've got to dine out four times a week. I've got work commitments. You know, we're traveling and it falls apart for all of us, Um, but we don't go back to shakes. So it's more about pulling the reins in and making the different choices. And and from someone like you is finding out what those choices might look like for the longer term rather than this whole, well, I just need to turn everything on its head and drink liquid. Right. You've probably said this too. It's like, 
the way that you eat in order to lose weight is the way you have to eat to keep that weight off. So if mm. you are eating in a way that is miserable for you, like you're going to regain that weight. Yeah, because so, it would fall apart at some point. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you know, if it's something that you're choosing to do that you can't do forever, don't yeah. do it. It's another way to say it. Right. Like extenuating circumstances like pre-op or post-op, mm-hmm. it's the time where we're getting you through something and those mm-hmm. times we have a different method of rolling things out. But when you look at, all the other systems that are on offer like keto or paleo or vegan, you know, it's just another, Mm -hmm. can I sustain this for the rest of my days and does it make me happy and is it flexible enough that I can live my life and go out for dinner and absorb all of those times that we have and, you know, Mm -hmm. can I stick with it when I'm on holidays or is it just going to make me miserable? It's like how do we find that balance of how to manage those times, I suppose, and not to kind of lose our way totally. I think that's another thing. And and I was talking about it with somebody else is coming up to the holiday season is coming back from the holiday season without feeling like you need a holiday because you've just destroyed Mm -hmm. yourself and Mm -hmm. actually using it as a time as it should be of, you know, rest, recuperation, socialize with your friends, family, get together because everybody's got a bit more time. But to not come back from that needing to detox and to start again and I like to use those times as a bit of a reset in a good way, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we have get together at Christmas Day and Christmas Eve, but they're days, they're not weeks. And right. I think we need to remember that it is a season, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. not weeks and weeks and weeks that we need to be. Right. Yeah, we don't need to yeah. be kind of completely off the wagon for so long that then we turn around like, oh my God, look what I've just done. Right. And now I need a holiday to recover from my holiday mm-hmm. season. We talk about it a lot every time this time of year comes around because I think it's about making good choices yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, I think a, a good filter for those choices because, again, there's foods that are only around this time of year that you want to have or traditional dishes. But is to think ahead after you eat this thing, are you going to feel guilty? Or are you going to be like, so glad I had that. That was great. And it could be the same thing. And one day you're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to regret this. And the next time you're going to be like, I'm having it. Feels yeah. Good. And a little bit of thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. I used to talk about personal rules. Like if I'm going to blow calories or yeah. whatever, it needs to be really worthwhile for me. So I have a range of things that I just, I like, but I don't absolutely love. So it's like, I'm not mm-hmm. going to have those. So for me, it's like, for example, Vanilla slice is a bit of a favorite. So if I'm going to digress and I've got the choice between potato chips and no vanilla slice isn't there, I just won't go there. So it's about setting yourself up with what's really worth it when I'm going to do that. What's my favorite drink? What's my favorite sweet? What kind of digressing meal do I enjoy rather than everywhere I go just because it's there and I'll just eat it because it's a treat. Mm -hmm. And and it's that time of year. I think yeah. we can let ourselves off a little in that way because mm-hmm. we become less discerning about, you know, food is on offer everywhere we go, but is it, if it's not, if it's, you know, I won't go near like little hot dogs or, do you know what I mean? It just depends yeah, on right. what's on offer. I agree. So, I say something similar. I learned this when I worked in the hospital and in the holidays, every nursing unit had a pile of food. And a lot of it was the same sugar cookie, but just now it had a Christmas tree on it from the grocery store. It's not special. I'm not going to eat it. But if somebody mm. made, hey, I only make these cookies every year as my grandmother's recipe, I'll probably eat one of those. But just yeah, they have to have that. 
mm-hmm. little filter, a little rule. It's almost a, it's decadent. And I think that's what we've lost is that it's a treat because treats have infiltrated our everyday and lost their high value as a sometimes food where when we were kids, we grew up in a family, we didn't have much money. We certainly didn't have discretionary food on hand and most food was made at home, which most kids would kill for now because everything is so convenient and yeah and then everything's come in that we used to have a party once every month or two and you'd gorge yourself on it and then you wouldn't see it again but now Mm -hmm. we see it all the time that's the problem is that these party foods have become available as you walk through the supermarket checkout and Mm -hmm. I think we've lost that special so now we have to come up with what our special is because things are going to get thrown at us wherever we go yeah I like that. It's figure out what your special is. Mm, just sort of choosing and being more discerning. And that changes over time. It's like chocolate used to be a real game changer and now it's dark chocolate and then it goes to yeah. panna chocolate. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it becomes yeah. more yeah. of a natural and your taste changes once you start to do that a little bit more. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, an old friend messaged me after Halloween and she's like, what do you do with your kids' Halloween candy? I've already eaten like six pieces today. I was like, yeah. This sounds snotty dietitian, but I'm like, it's not that good. I eat too much good chocolate that that just doesn't taste good. Mm-hmm. And also I just take a handful and throw a handful away every day. So it yeah. disappears fast. There's always that. And I think that's true. Like after we've had people for dinner or people over with discretionary foods, what do you do? And we've mm-hmm. also come from, you know, don't waste food. Right. That, do you find that's a prevailing thing is I don't want to waste it? Yes. And also, I think it's such a mind game. As much as you prepare for surgery, read the binder, go to all the appointments, understand what's coming. When you sit down with your family and they're having like shrimp and green beans and baked potatoes and you're having three shrimp and you're done. Like that's just hard and weird. So, of course, it makes sense that people find ways to extend their eating time. And that is usually not with solid protein foods. And so then they feel like they can eat more, their pouch is stretched and they're gaining weight. When pouch hasn't stretched, you're just putting food in there that goes down easier so you can eat more. Yeah. We do call it slider foods. Do you have that term over mm-hmm. there? Foods that are, I always talk about foods that look large in the outside world, but become sloppy oh, pulp yeah. in the belly, mm-hmm. chips, ice cream. It's gone in your mouth. There's no mass in your stomach to feel. So yeah. All of us could eat a box of crackers. Yeah, it's whether you choose to or not. But it's interesting, I think, in what I see with bariatric patients, when those foods are starting to come back in, they'll go, oh, my pouch is stretched or they liken it to something going wrong with the surgery and it's just Mm -hmm. not taking up that room in the tummy anymore or going straight through. If I ask them how much chicken you can eat, they're like, oh, one chicken tender. And like, there you go. I also heard people say that the feeling of the chicken or the solid they're like i just feel it and that they don't like that feeling so that's a challenge because we got to find something that's comfortable but not slider actually i spoke with another dietitian who said the very same thing it's like the foods that they kind of can associate with not sitting well it's more that they're staying in the tummy for a little bit longer which is actually Mm -hmm. what you want Mm -hmm. so she's like don't necessarily steer away from the foods that sit because it's not that that's a bad thing it's actually what's going to help you to stay fuller for longer right which is kind of a goal and often it is the protein rich 
foods maybe soften them up a little bit, but is it that it's not sitting or is it that it's staying because- You actually feel it. Yeah, yeah, as -hmm. opposed to those, you know, pasta dishes and that sort of stuff where the carbs go through straight very quickly into the small intestine and don't sit in the pouch for that long. So Mm -hmm. it's a question to ask is when you feel that, is it uncomfortable or is it that it's staying there to digest and it's keeping you full? Mm -hmm. I forgot about that one. Yeah, so I'm aware of your time and I think- The long-termers are the ones to really target. I think it's fantastic that you're doing that because there's so much wrapped up in reaching out. Do you find in the online world, is that making it easier for people to sort of think, oh, I'm looking for something, but Mm -hmm. I'm working up the courage to go see my local team and in the meantime, I'm looking for other input and then they stumble across something that's, you know, a platform like yours Mm -hmm. that could be saving so many people because they're not that online, less confronting, I suppose, conversation, same conversation, but just not, Mm -hmm. you know. You don't have to call the clinic and talk to four people and wait a month. You can send me a DM and I will message you in a day and you have that immediate support. I also think it's hard in the clinic in our setting and probably the same for you, like, I still work in the clinic part-time, but my appointments are like 15 minutes. What am I going to do in 15 minutes? What and, do you do in 15 minutes? And see you next month. Like that doesn't yeah. help when I'm only 10 minutes to talk. And actually it's probably five minutes because patient talked for five minutes. Yeah, good so it's, the system is not built for long-term support. Yeah, productivity. And, you know, with mm-hmm. that online approach, it's that drip feeding, I think, mm-hmm. of continual – because. We reach a point where we're looking for something and that's usually not the start of when we uh-huh. thought we might need something. Right. So we're in a, often it's not crisis, but it's like we're we're in a pain right. point, I mm-hmm. suppose. And you're right. If you have to call your clinic, you have to make it a booking, you know, you've got 15 minutes and it's in one month. What do you do with that month in between right. when you think like, oh, it's hopeless you know, I'm here anyway, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and then I'll wait for that 15-minute appointment, which if that's not as effective as it could be, then you're you're kind of back to square one when you leave. So it's, yeah, getting that kind of, and that's the beauty of the internet. I also think it's been great in the way that we don't necessarily have to go with the person around the corner because it's convenient. You can find the best of the best and the one that fits for you. And I often talk about that. It's like if you do have a situation where you haven't found someone that you resonate with, just keep looking. And it might be that they're on the other side of the world. It doesn't matter. But it's like Mm -hmm. make sure that you connect with that and that it's somewhere, you know, where you feel comfortable and you're getting something out of it. And keep looking until you find Mm -hmm. that space because Mm -hmm. it'll be there. It's interesting because talking about food and your food is really vulnerable. It's not nobody knows what you eat every day. Mm. And so to tell somebody, stranger, you want to trust them, you want to feel a good connection. Yeah, and build that rapport. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that self-evaluation tool, we'll share that link in the show notes. And that will, of course, take you through to Jeannie's work as well, which would be brilliant. So I'm sure it's not the last we'll hear from you, Jeannie Boyer, because it works, you know, I think it's filling that niche that's been not forgotten, but We're just waking up to the fact Mm -hmm. that it's a real area where we need to really pick up on and start really caring for people at that stage. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, Mm -hmm. thank you very much for your time. I totally appreciate it. I know it's 
late at night where you are. Oh. So I'll leave you and <laughs> yeah, didn't yawn at all. <laughs> exceedingly well. Well, thank you so much. And Jeannie Boyer, I will post your details in the show notes on the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast website. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. And just before you go, we would love to hear your feedback. So please give us a rating and review. For other interesting topics of conversation and inspiration, come and drop into our Facebook community at BN Bariatric. If you've enjoyed our podcast, we hope you will share on your Facebook or Instagram and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.